Set down your sleepy water and your Mr. Whistle. Take off that raincoat and grab a cold beer. It's time to have a real talk about pediatric dentistry. You're listening to Bruise and Tiny Teeth, the unfiltered pediatric dentistry podcast. That sounds great. And I actually listened to some of your podcasts. I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed them. Oh, I, I, I was, I, yeah, I downloaded a few before a plane ride and I was like, how about this? Uh-huh. It, was, it was great. I yeah. think it's a, I think it's a great, it's a really great thing. You know, and, and from a, a selfish it's really, perspective, it's, I get a lot from these podcasts just as much as like people listening. Like, I feel like it's free CE for me because I get to talk to so many different cool people that are so much smarter than me and I get to ask them all these questions. So I like for selfish <laughs> reasons as well. Um, it's great. I'll be a, I'll be a lifelong listener now. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's good. So I wanted to, um, you know, before we got into like work talk and talking about teeth, cause we talk about it all day. Um, you know, a couple girls at bourbon and baby teeth that I had met, um, some other pediatric dentists, you know, before I knew who you were, had made some recommendations and were just speaking so highly of you before I knew anything about you. And one of the first things they were talking about was like, cause we were talking about like running and that, I like dabble in running and I like the fitness thing, even though I'm sitting here drinking beer after not taking care of myself all day. But they said, you're a, you're a big runner and a marathoner. And then you talked about that in your presentation, but I always have respect for like pediatric dentists that still make time with our crazy lives to like work out excessively, not excessively, but you know, do things like marathons and train. So how much running do you do on like a normal basis? Um, and I think you nailed it actually. I think, oh, are we cracking now? Cause I'm ready to crack. <laughs> are you going with me? Okay. I didn't know if you were, okay. I didn't know if I was doing yeah, this. I'm drinking buddy. <laughs> oh yeah. Here we go. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Here, here, here goes mine. So cheers. Um, Perfect. you nailed it. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> um, it is, it is obsessive. What are you drinking it on your obsessive? And so, um, my husband and I always try to support our local breweries and we have a lot here in our city. So this is from Raleigh brewery and it's, um, the first squeeze and it's a ruby orange wheat ale. Nice. Nice. It's kind of a girly beer. No, that's okay. (laughs) You went up on the cool factor that you drink a a little crafty beer. So very, very good. Appreciate you joining. Yeah. I, we, we try really hard. My practice partner, Clark Morris, who's amazing. He -hmm. is the beer connoisseur in our partnership. So he, he always brings something like, I know you'll love this. And I do because mm-hmm. he knows me well, but, but back, back to the running. Um, yes. so my, hu- my husband and I, it is, it is like our sacred thing with one another. And we learned very early on between juggling careers and doing, you know, all the stuff that we hold down in our children that, if we don't sign up for some massive mega undertaking, we will not carve out that special time for just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And so it became sort of an addictive, self-fulfilling prophecy. So, and we don't have a break pedal in our marriage and it's really great. And then it gets kind of scary. Like, Hey, you know what we should do? We should do a triathlon. Yeah, we'll do, you know what? We should do a half. You know what? That was fun. We should do a full, we should do an Ironman, you know? And then we just feed, we should do all 50 states, a marathon in all 50 states. And then, you know what we should do when we turn 40? We should run a hundred miler. That's what we should do. You know, <laughs> and, and neither one of us says, uh, why don't we just get a really nice bottle of wine and go, you know, to dinner or something. And fortunately, the two of us are like, yeah, that's mm-hmm. what we're going to do. <laughs> so that's awesome. we, COVID has kind of harshed our game a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so the dream was 50 before 50 and Massachusetts must, must be Boston. So we were on track. We both turned 50 this year mm-hmm. and we were hardcore on track. Like, and we, you know, training for, it was really easy training for the hundred. We were doing back to backs, like doing a marathon on Saturday, one on Sunday, and we were banging them out. Um, and then COVID hit. And then they were canceled and I rescheduled them all and they were canceled again. And then my husband's like, oh my gosh, just let's just push pause and wait for things to chill out. But mm-hmm. here we yeah. well, I just <laughs> so have a lot of CrossFit. Mm-hmm. CrossFit stuff. Oh, yeah. Thanks. I have um, I just a lot of respect just from the um, 
you know, I was never a runner in like high school. I was more of like a weightlifter of sorts, but then, uh, my dad kind of went through a bunch of cancer stuff and got really sick, like kind of early and passed away kind of early. And just from all of that whole thing that went on, I started kind of switching my mentality to like, you know, I don't need to be, you know, jacked and shredded and eating eight meals a day and all this. Like I started doing more like health and wellness type things. And so I started a running routine and, um, I, it, it kind of comes and goes like with the moving, We've, I've not been great about it, but I just have a new respect for it. You know, like at first it's like, okay, I just went out and ran two miles and I was pumped. I'm like, that's great. And then, you know, then you push yourself a little bit more and then it's, it, I, I see the bug. I see why people just like keep going like, okay, I did six miles. Now I, I should do a half marathon. And then you, you know, and then it just turns into what you do. And it's like, I want to run 50 marathons in 50 States and do an Ironman and swim three miles in it. So it's very, very cool. And it's a good hobby to have, you know, compared to all the other things you could be doing with your free time. It is. It's just, it's real special to us. I would love for you to visit someday. We'll show you our, um, our, uh, our medals in our basement. We have, we just love it. You know, the his and hers metal, metal racks. And it's just, it's just fun. And it's fun that we did, we did together. I've done one. I did one marathon before we got together when I was in dental school in Memphis, but otherwise we've been together for every single one of them. That's really, yeah. really cool. Really so, sweet. you know, on the, on the topic of, um, I think you said you're in, are you South Carolina? Is that right? North Carolina, North Raleigh. Carolina. Raleigh, Raleigh. Okay. Um, you know, I, you're going to have to refresh me too on your background. Cause I, I have heard you speak a few times and we've kind of chatted here and there, but for the listeners that maybe are like residents or have not heard you speak or not super familiar, can you give me like, you know, a couple minutes sort of power session on like your professional background and your training and kind of what your private practice life has looked like thus far? Yeah. Do you want me to give it to you so you can give it on the intro or you want me to do it when we record? No, no, uh, Lurie, I record, started recording about five minutes ago. So please, yeah, I do these, I do these rolling up. I, I'm not, a, I'm not big for like, if I try to do a big formal introduction, I screw it up every time. I just got to start going. I just got to do it on the fly. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Okay. So here we go. Here's, here's me in a, in a quick nutshell. Um, grew up in Southern California, landed in Arkansas because of an unfortunate stepfather situation, living with my biologic grandfather. And I figured out that it was a good thing for me to be in Arkansas from a college scholarship standpoint. So I stayed put and I went to Arkansas Tech University. I got accepted to undergrad when I was, or to dental school rather, when I was 19. I fast-tracked undergrad. I don't recommend that, by the way. Um, I had an army scholarship, which put the bug in and really developed a good sense of self-discipline and physical fitness that I loved. So I was supposed to be deferring and serving before going to dental school, but uh, our battalion was shut down and they actually said, you can change schools or go on to dental school. So I went on to um, UT Memphis, an exceptional clinical dental school, exceptional. I'm so, so proud of the clinical foundation I received there. And then I was fortunate enough to match with University of North Carolina, where I attended three-year residency there. And I like to tell people, I went there and I actually learned the foundational knowledge of why I did all the clinical things I did. So that's um, mm -hmm. how I ended up there. I met my husband in Chapel Hill. And uh, we, together, despite neither of us being North Carolinians, we chose to stay here because we thought it would be a good place to raise a family. And I never really knew where I belonged. You know, should I be a hospitalist? Should I be an academic? Should I be in private practice? And I chose the private practice route because I thought it would be best for our family. But I've always felt a pull to other things, um, particularly the American Board of Pediatric Dentistry. And I really believe in the mission. And I, um, of course, I, I my caveat to that is one of my very best friends and colleagues. Um, he is not board certified. And the doctor I originally worked with when I came out of school is also not board certified. And he was exceptional, too. I think there's many amazing non-board certified pediatric dentists. But my thought is, if there's one thing during the process that helps you make one child's life better, then, well, it's all worth it, right? So, that's where I went with that. And I've really enjoyed that journey. Um, I've always had my hand dabbling in teaching and speaking. And I love it. I love teaching. I love hardcore clinical pediatric dentistry. We all love kids. I, or we, Otherwise, we wouldn't do what we do. 
but I love just the nitty gritty clinical side of things. And I worked for an amazing doctor, so amazing for three years. So great to be an associate. <laughs> so, so simple. And he, he's brilliant. Um, he's retired now, but he's brilliant, uh, amazing man. And I only left because we had our first child and she was born with congenital heart defects. So my husband and I lived in the middle and we commuted two different directions and we were, we were imploding as a family. <laughs> so, so as a family, we made the decision, which was the wrong one, by the way, I'll be the first to tell you that somehow we thought if we centralized our lives, it would be easier on us. And I couldn't be further from the truth on that. So we did live closer, work closer, and her doctor's appointments were closer. But as you know, opening <laughs> a practice from the ground up is quite the undertaking. Mm -hmm. But we did it. And, um, and I say we, because if you have a significant other and you open a practice, it's a, it's a we effort. And I love the practice. I love what we stand for. I love that we see all children. And it sounds like you have a similar eclectic practice. You see those that are affluent. You see those with Medicaid. You see everything in between. And I just, I think it's wonderful. You've got to be creative and you've got to be a really good practice management expert to make it all work. But um, that's our I, practice. I've always, I've always Mia, appreciated I, that uh, you're like, you know, from your uh, bourbon and baby tooth, <clears throat> excuse me, bourbon and uh, baby teeth lecture in Louisville. It's pretty evident that you're, like you said, I like that and appreciate the fact that you're an in the trenches pediatric dentist because there's a lot of people that will give a lot of advice online and talk to a lot of people, but they, you know, aren't actually the ones in there doing some of these really hard cases in a population that's got a lot of complex patients. You know, you know, there's big difference in a high caries risk area and a busy population that throws you curveballs every day and weird stuff. And you got to use your critical thinking skills versus if you just run a profi palace or you don't. I don't know. I don't want to like poop on anybody from different walks of life, but ultimately I'm just saying, I appreciate the fact that like from your lectures, it's very evident that you do a lot of hardcore, like tough clinical cases. Like I've seen a lot of your big full mouth, like zirconia across the board cases, which, um, maybe that's just your mentality. Like I'm going to go out and run a marathon. Like you see a kid that's like a challenging kid. Like my, you're just like, I think our brains are wired similar. Like I'm going to find a way to figure this out and like get in there and, and get it done. So I appreciate that you're like, you know, seeing Medicaid, tough kids, and kind of doing a lot of the, the same things that a lot of the pediatric dentists that listen to the podcast listen to. I think they can relate to you on, on the clinical side of things as well. Thanks for, thanks for recognizing that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I really appreciate I had someone once tell me, you know why I always sign up for, to hear you speak? And I was like, oh gosh, I hope this is something I want to hear. And they're like, because your slides have actually pictures of X teeth and, and things on them. They're not just text slides. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, yeah, there's that. <laughs> it's true. They're, they're my real patients. But no, thanks. I appreciate that. So how long have you, um, tell, tell me about like the practice then. You started, um, you know, shortly out of residency or, and then, I mean, you've been open for a while. As a side note, everybody that's from North Carolina stays there and loves it. So I got to come out and visit at some point in time because it's obviously a cool place. Everybody um, loves it out there. But tell me, tell me more about like, you know, the area you practice in, what your practice looks like, how long you've been open, how many chairs, what your patient population's like, like a little background on that end. Absolutely. So open the original practice, um, grew, 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 brought in associates, ultimately opened another location, brought in a partner and a fantastic guy great guy, but felt I needed to downsize becoming more of a businesswoman and less of a pediatric dentist. So sold that location to him, grew, 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 brought in another partner, exceptional guy, Clark Morris. He's just the best. We built the second, second location. Um, and so the first location is in suburbia. The second location is urban. It's downtown Raleigh. And we have 10 chairs in both locations. We also do in-office sedation, in-office GA. We work in a surgery center. We work out of a hospital. We are everywhere, um, much like so many of our colleagues are. And um, personally, you know, from a, a flow standpoint, we, Clark and I, generally run six chairs by ourselves. Um, 
and two ops and then everything else in between recares and infants and new patients and appliances and all these things. And I think the foundation of the practice, and we don't, you know, I don't want to give off the connotation and we have very long, we are, Clark is also the same mindset of, you know, let's go hard and get in there and work hard and work for fewer days. So we have 10 hour patient care days. We huddle at 630 and we end at five. We have a one hour recess in the middle of the day. Um, but we do special ops in the morning, meaning we don't do sedations integrated into our normal day. We come in and see those kids before. If we have something really big, like a big half mouth zirconia, we do that. I love and just thrive on, you know, like microdonic seven and 10 buildups. And I like to do those as special ops and, and do that sort of thing. But the foundation of the practice is an investment in our team. We spend a lot of I, I very specifically, I enjoy it. And I spend a lot of time training our team, but they, they do a lot of heavy lifting, not from a clinical standpoint, but a parent interaction standpoint, which I thought it was intriguing. The questions that you said you were recently asked, because I think so much of that lands on the team mm-hmm. and I'll let you um, take it from there. How you want to. Yeah. Well, that. I mean, we, uh, we've got, this is, I get guilty of this where I start asking and I like learning about other people's practices and their stories. And then something perks my attention. And then all of a sudden half an hour goes by and I haven't even gotten to like the, the meat of what I wanted to talk about, but yeah. So, um, that gives us good background about who you are and your practice and everything. So, um, so that was really nice. But, uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk with you about is, um, me trying to get caught up on some listener questions, which I get pretty frequently. And some of them I try to answer on the fly. And some of them I save that are really more in depth. Um, for certain episodes. And uh, I'm going to give a shout out to one of my listeners, Leslie, who kind of sent me uh, um, a longer, a longer uh, text message or email with some questions, but I thought there were some good topics in here that, um, that you and I might be able to kind of like thought process through and sort of address and just kind of, you know, go back and forth on some thoughts on. Um, but um, so I might just kind of form this very long email into like a question format. Cause we got four or five questions and just kind of, um, go for things. But essentially this listener, you know, is, um, interested in, um, doing a startup, I believe. And I think we're, you know, was kind of having some difficulties with like parent communications and just some little things in their office, um, and, and wondering how we tackled things. So, um, first one was parents in or outside the operatory during procedures, which pretty broad, um, pretty broad question that we've kind of addressed a few times, but in your practice, are you, uh, do you fall in the category of parents in the op or parents out of the op? Or are you, do you kind of just case by case basis, or do you have a hard and fast rule? How do you guys uh, do it in your practice? I think this is probably the most common question that I am asked on a, on a routine basis. And I will say it is by far the most polarizing topic. I think other than to see Medicaid or not see Medicaid yes. amongst our colleagues. Yes. And, and before we dive into what seemingly is a really um, a, a motion forward topic for our colleagues, I want to give my disclaimer. These are just my opinions. I celebrate and honor and respect all of our colleagues and how they choose to go about their days and, and they do what works for them. And I think that's wonderful. And we do what works extremely well for us to run a fiscally responsible practice that is a dental home for all children. So with that said, there is not a hard, fast policy. And we know oftentimes parents are extremely helpful and, and sometimes we purposely schedule for them to be present for an operative procedure. Um, we also know the flip side of that. Uh, sometimes we're not given the opportunity to set up a positive interaction because of the immediate words that come out of a parent's, you know, mouth, you know, oh, do you know, I've always hated the dentist. <laughs> you know, oh, don't worry. I'm not going to let her hurt you. You know, just all the things where all the little hairs in the back of our necks stand up like, oh, please don't, please don't say that. So for those with special health care needs and obviously infants, children under three, the parents are always present. I shouldn't use the term always. Some families know us so well. They have so many children in the practice. They'll just like hand the one-year-old to an older sib and like, have fun. I'm going into the parent room or the mommy room. So we have a parent reception in our practice. And it is, it is a positive reward system. Children are not allowed in there. There's a coffee machine and Wi-Fi and um, 
a big TV because basketball is a big deal in our state and they can, they can enjoy quiet time. And we also, you know, per um, Scott Litch published many years ago, we shouldn't have mobile devices in our clinics in public health care settings. So we don't allow phone usage in our clinic. And a lot of people just can't handle not being on their phones. So that too, I had a dad yesterday, actually. And so in our practice, Wednesdays, we see, it's all hands on deck. We see Medicaid in both locations. The other days of the week were private pay. And this dad had not one, but two phones on him. And when I, when I came to check on his child and some of our team members are comfortable saying, I'm sorry, you know, I just said, hey, you know, for healthcare reasons and HIPAA reasons, I'm just going to ask you to put your phone away. If you would like to enjoy our parent room, you're more than welcome to use it in there. And he sat there for a couple minutes, got a little twitchy. And then he's like, now where's that parent room? And he left, you know, so there's that. But um, we encourage the children that appear to be comfortable without their parent to allow us the opportunity to build rapport and do that. If we separate children from their parents, we always do what we call a silent observer. So if it's an exam, a new patient, a recare, you know, whatever the situation, they come to the clinic and they talk to the doctor. If it's an op, we don't talk to them because sometimes just hearing a parent's voice is enough to like, wait a minute, there's my exit strategy. I don't like the way my lip fills and I'm going to fuss so I can leave. So they're silent. So they just come and they peek and they observe their child doing well. and. And then there's situations where I find the interactions to be extremely positive for the children and we schedule them purposely and there's a big alert. You know, Dr. Johnson or Dr. Morris said, once parent present, schedule in VIP one so there's not another operative patient being seen beside them. And I think that whenever you start making set policies, I think that's when you get in trouble. If you say, I always have parents present or I've never had parents present, I think you're taking the unique factor out. And that's, of course, the child what is actually going to make the best experience for the child. So it's a really independent situation, but I will be straight up with you. Most of the time for operative procedures, parents are not present. And here's the other caveat. If I, and we are an end provider, our greatest referring source happens to be other pediatric dentists in our practice. And so oftentimes children have seen two, three other pediatric dentists and they've had multiple board admissions or, you know, they said, oh, I'm only going to treat your child if they have GA or conscious sedation and the parents didn't want that. So they come to us. And when they come in, I listen to their story. And if they if they say something along the lines of, oh, I saw Dr. Casey and he traumatized my child. The first thing always comes to my mouth. I say, oh, really? I know Dr. Casey. He is fabulous. And he is my friend. There must have been some kind of misunderstanding there. Always have our colleagues' backs in that situation. But if the parent, if the child is not having a good appointment for an exam with the parent present, there is no way I will enter and schedule an operative appointment with the parent present. Because it's foolish for me to think that could possibly go better when I'm about to anesthetize their child when looking at their child with a mirror was a very difficult situation. So some variable has to change. And I tell them that, you know, I'm more than willing to treat your child without sedation or treat your child without, you know, general anesthesia, but we need to change the variable because this in my mind for your child's age was not the best appointment it could have been. And that's what I'm looking to have is the best appointment. And sometimes they say fine. Sometimes they say no. And that's okay too. Mm Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, st- I, I will not do it. If I don't think I can set them up for success, I don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. You, that was a very thorough answer to that question. And I, I don't really have a lot to, to add, but um, I think that it was cool that you highlighted, you know, the, the fact that there's like the very first caveat you said that you can do this all sorts of different ways and it works best for everybody. And sometimes it works to not have, you know, it's a good idea not to have a hard fixed policy. Cause if you do things like, no, we never allowed parents back ever or, you know, parents come back a hundred percent of the time. There's going to be kids that should or shouldn't fall on one side or the other that you could have success with if you did it the other way. So I, I, I think that was a really, really good thorough answer. And I don't have, I don't have a lot to add. I tried not to interrupt a lot too. Just like my, my mic's got a little bit of a lag. So I just was letting you like be very, very <laughs> thorough with that answer. But that was, um, 
that was great. I'm I'm similar, but maybe I, I'm a little bit more loose. I I allow most parents to come back. Um, part of it's because I I the the way I rationalize with myself is when my, when your practice is younger, like you know we're on our year and a half of of starting up, you know you aren't super established in the community. You're still trying to get that patient base and positive like internal reviews. And I've always thought like maybe it, it boosted a little bit. Cause I know, I know that I'm good with the kids and I know I'm a good communicator and I have nothing to hide working with the parents. And there's going to be some kids that might have a failed op that I could have been successful with that the parents weren't there a, a slim majority of the time. But in general, I think that parents see me working with their kids, um, gets a buzz going because they can see how, how good of an experience was. And it's kind of like, it just builds the positive vibes in the community and it builds a lot of confidence with parents. Um, but there are definitely times I ask parents as well. I'm like, Hey, this kid's like, it's at least on my end, it seems to be the kids that are like, you know, the high energy kids that like are cooperative, but just like need some sternness. They don't get, you know, maybe as much stern disciplinedness at home where it's like, mom, he might need a, a little touch of like firmness or a little touch of a dad voice. He might look to you for escape. You know, if it didn't work at this other office, maybe the thing to do is to have you hang out in the waiting room and I can just do my thing. Would that be okay? And most of those parents are like, oh, absolutely. Like I know my kids about like, he just, you tell him to sit there and shut up and he'll, you know, so you know how it goes, but, um, I agree with everything you said there. That was a very good answer. Um, Okay. So we can roll then on question two. Uh, so our listener said, was looking for some tips on how to give anticipatory guidance, treatment planning talk. If parent is holding a crying baby, that's a good one. Or a, a, um, another sibling that's demanding attention. Do you task an assistant to entertain, you know, the, the upset child or sibling? Do you recommend two guardians, um, visit or present for the, for the visit? Um, what if there's no other family member who can bring them? So ultimately asking, and we all know the situation, like people that are listening as pediatric dentists, but you're trying to like tell the mom, Hey, you know, your kid's got a cavity or we need to work on your kiddos brushing. And these are the things you need to do. Don't give your kid juice going to bed and mom's sitting there and there's three other kids pulling on her and grabbing a phone out of her purse and doing everything else. And you just know that all that info is sailing straight over her, her head. What do you do in that situation? I'm curious on your response. So kick it off. Like, how do you handle those in, uh, when you have those parents in your practice? Well, let's start with the age one visit. So we, our train, our team is extraordinarily trained to utilize the BOP, the baby oral health program. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I believe you can just go to bohp.org. It's out of North Carolina. And it is a very systematic review of all the anticipatory guidance um, data points that we want to hit on. So our team is trained that, you know, in the infant area, we have toys and things to occupy. If there's bigger sibs that are along, we have video games for them to play, try to separate them to let the mom have a little bit of space or dad, I shouldn't say mom, I should just be parent, have a little bit of space. But we don't think about getting in the child's mouth until all the anticipatory guidance you know, the preventative side, the injury prevention, the caries prevention, the, you know, non-nutritive sucking habits discussions, all those things are had before we actually need to need the infant. And um, that way the parent can focus. And then usually by the time, and again, it's a well-oiled machine, I come and sit down, they've already been cleaned and so forth. And I can hear them, you know, calling for me. It's about time for me to be there. You know, they're little babies. And I sit down and I'll say, I understand, you know, we went through the baby oral health program. Do you have any further questions for me? 99% of the time I'll be like, no, I didn't realize, you know, I wasn't supposed to be doing this juice or I know I need to get rid of the passy or first thing I'm going to do is buy a bathtub nozzle cover as soon as we get home or whatever. And, and then they're out of there for the bigger kids. Let's say it's a referral, a commonplace referral, rampant caries or severe early childhood caries. And they come in, I sit down and I do the exam. And the parents there, and I talk to them, and I'm cordial with them. But then what I say is, what we're going to do is um, give my dental assistant opportunity to get this treatment plan in and give me a look at it, make sure everything is accurate. And then while he or she or the other kids or whatever play video games, our clinical coordinator will go through all this treatment with you. At that point, if you have any further questions from me, I'm happy to step back in and talk to you. So my moments with the parents are very short and sweet. And we always have enough team members on board where they can entertain a child. So I guess that's the point. We don't, I think it is a 
a lot to ask. We do for conscious sedation and we do for um, GA ask for two parents to come. But I think it's a lot to ask um, for two parents to be at the appointments. But we, we support the families by helping entertain the kids and try to give them the opportunity and process the material as slow as they need to. I mean, the team is trained to go tooth by tooth. And I have a treatment guide. If you've heard me speak on one side, it talks about everything that a tooth can have done to it. And then on the opposite side, it talks about all the modalities in which we can deliver that care. And then we can give the parent a copy of that. And that way the parent doesn't feel stressed out and so forth to encounter that. So I guess we, su- we support um, the child care while they're in the office is the answer to that, to that question. But if you haven't used BOP, definitely look it up. It's exceptional. One of my dear friends, maid of honor in my wedding, Rocio Quinones, um, she is the inventor of that. Hmm. And just did an exceptional job with it. That uh, that handout is a really really good idea. I do remember seeing that at, at one of your lectures, but I feel like that could cut down on a lot of conversation that myself and a lot of people have. Where you know you go have to go through and point to the enamel and point to the dentin, and then talk about well we could do it if it was small, like into the enamel we could do you know a little composite, and then this is why we, this is lower success rate than a stainless steel crown and zircon. You know that's such a good idea. I need to implement something like that and get it laminated in about 10,000 copies and just start making it rain those. Cause that would be, uh, that would be great. But, um, some, uh, some other thoughts I, I had there with, with your answer. Um, you know, sometimes it gets tricky too. It sounds like you've got a really good team with good systems that kind of supports this and allows you to see all these patients, um, that, that you see, but, um, sometimes what gets tough is you can tell that some parents are just there, um, and they just want to be told, like, does my kid have cavities or no cavities and everything else? Like, even if they aren't distracted, you know, and you get good at trying to read people, I feel like eventually. And if I can tell, I'm starting to say some things in my exam that like, oh, this is interesting. We've got a crossbite, you know, we've got some um, occlusion issues and like, they're not really paying attention. Um, so do we have any cavities? And it's like this, this parent just wants to know, do we have cavities and do we need to come back? You know, if, if a parent isn't genuinely engaged and, you know, I'm not going to sit there for 10 minutes and try to, you know, get them really hyped up about it. Um, so reading the parents, I think is, um, is one thing. And then the second thought I, I had, um, only other thing I had to add was I did see a practice one time, shout out to Craig Hollander, uh, Sunset Hills Pediatric Dentistry. He, he like, <laughs> yeah, you know, Craig, yeah, he, this is a, a, yeah. a Craig idea. He's great. Um, their office, they've got like a report card for some of the older kids, um, you know, if parents are out in the waiting room or say dad brings the kids to the appointment, but you know, you know, dad's like shows up in his construction outfit and he doesn't really, he's not the one in charge of this. He's just got tasked with bringing them in. Dr. Hollander's got uh, like report cards and the, um, the assistants will fill out, you know, or the hygienist oral hygiene was this today. This is what we need to work on. These are our areas of concern. This is what we need to come back. And it's just like a little, you know, six by eight sheet. They scribble it out and one goes home to each kid. And that way they can look at it. They've got something physical, hard, like notes on it. And I've, I'm not quite there with my recall system yet where we, you know, we're seeing like 15, 20, 20 recalls a day, but eventually when we're to a bigger status, like that's something that I'm interested in trying to implement. I thought that was kind of a, a cool idea to help with that as well. We have report cards as well. We use a full sheet and on the back of it, it has what each of the terminology, like what does enamel hypomineralization mean? What does a stainless steel crown mean? What does a zirconia crown mean? What did, and we check it. So they, they take that. And it's also much like the treatment guide it's a liability issue because the consent says they saw visual examples and they understood what the treatment means. And then the report card, they sign it and we scan it. And so if they come back and they had, you know, watches between all the primary molars and they come back and then they have eight cavities into the dentin and you're like, well, we had those watch spots last time. Watch spots. You didn't say anything about watch spots. Well, don't you remember this report card? And we mark these watch spots and this is your signature, right? Um, and they're like, oh yeah, (laughs) so it is, it is very good, very Mm -hmm. good thing. That's something, um, Larry taught me when I started practicing with him Mm -hmm. and, um, it is, it is saved, saved us many times. You you should start using a report card. It'll, it'll, it'll come back to be a really good thing with you. Yeah, I think so. I think I need to put, I've, you know, during COVID I, um, had the downtime with starting up the office where I, I had a lot of time on my hands. So I ended up learning and designed like my referral pad and business cards. And like, I've got like a, why does my kid have cavities? If I diagnose a decay, decay of some kind, I'll give that to parents with like six very basic tips, but, um, that might be a good one to, to kind of draft something up 
you know, like some of the things we talked about. So really, really good idea and efficient too. Um, uh, let's go to let's go to question three here and kind of transition forward. So I'm making a note to to get admin assistant to send you a copy of report card and treatment guide. I was going <laughs> to say so I don't, I don't want to be a mooch here because don't, re, I, don't but, reinvent the wheel. Just, okay, just yeah. Use if you it. have a copy, I'm gonna I'm gonna take something and run with it because I definitely will, will implement that for sure. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Okay, so things that parents usually have problems with our listener writes in. How often do you get a parent who wants all their kids' treatment done same day? Um, as exam and cleaning. Um, is that more common? And then in quotation, is that more common in private practice because we don't do that in residency? That's true. And uh, what is your perspective on handling that? How often are parents refusing X? That's kind of a secondary question. How often are parents refusing x-rays or all treatment in general um, based in private practice compared to residency? So basically this question is, um, how do you handle parents that come in with the ex expectation of doing treatment same day um, and wanting treatment done same day? Um, I, I have some thoughts on this as well, but go ahead and we'll kind of do this again. Go ahead and answer, you know, how do you deal with parents that come in with, um, expectations would like to get everything done same day, maybe get, um, fussy or upset if, if, um, if you aren't able to accommodate them that day. Well, we call those lucky day friends because it's their lucky day. They're going to get, they're going to be efficient. And we're going we're gonna to go about it this, this way, you know, and if mm -hmm. they tell us on the phone during scheduling, we generally try to reserve enough time to do that. If they don't tell us on the phone and they show up and they're just like, this is the third place I've been and I've taken off work and I just need this fixed and, you know, I need something done and, and so forth. The front team is trained to say, you know, our doctors work really hard to accommodate you. So let's just, you know, go over the dental assistant. We'll quickly go out, go through the really straightforward, important medical history questions. Why, if the parent didn't fill out their information in advance, take the child, get things, you know, move forward. And in those situations, if they weren't scheduled accordingly, rather than taking that time to talk to the parent, clinical coordinator will say, I understand you want treatment today. So I'm going to begin going over this. If there's questions I can't answer, Dr. Johnson's going to come out and talk to you. Otherwise we're setting up to take care of your child. So we, we utilize that pretty much every day. And on Medicaid days, when all doctors are in office, all team members are on staff, you know, everyone's ready to go. We actually try not to schedule out operative treatment. We try to finish it on the spot because compliance is an issue and we try, we try to do it. So that's just a normal routine in our practice. Of course, unless they have some underlying reason, like they need SBE coverage and then we just mm -hmm. do a quick exam or something like that, or they need to go to the OR, they need conscious sedation, they need, they need something else but we see, it's so sad how many toothaches, it's so sad for these children, how many toothaches we see. And it, and we we just take care of lucky day friends pretty much every day. And the team the team understands how, how to do that. And in those situations, particularly if they have multiple abscesses or something, I mean, we will, we will fast track them through and the parents desperate, they haven't eaten, they haven't slept, they haven't whatever. We'll make sure we do a silent observer during treatment, you know, and Sometimes those families are just so thankful. Like, I know you squeeze me on a schedule. Tell her, thank you so much. And, and that's it, you know. And sometimes after treatments on, they just, I want to come back and just thank you for that, you know, and, and they, they do that. So that's a common thing. Going back to the x-ray question, I'm going to give a shout out to Rob Moran. Um, he was a third-year resident when I was a first year at Carolina. And good guy, great provider. Um, he taught me very early on. He adopted, again, I can share this. I'll send this mm -hmm. to you as well. Um, thanks to Rob, credit to Rob. He showed and shared with me his three strikes you're out x-ray situation. So you deny x-rays once, you sign a form, you denied it, you deny it twice. And I'm talking about x-rays that we really feel are diagnostically important. You know, like, uh, you know, they're tight contacts. There's, you know, you know, someone that doesn't ha has wide open contacts. We don't need those bite wings, whatever, you know, but three, so strike one, come back six months, strike two. The third time you come, if you refuse x-rays, you're dismissed from the practice. And if the doctor feels those are, are indicated for diagnostic quality care, and I will tell you, I will tell you, it, it never fails. There, there are two, two situations where it was strike three on a pan. And one of them, I saw something weird on the bite wing 
strike three for the pan. And on these two situations, one time a tooth was behind the orbit and the child had been taking migraine medicine since he was like seven years old. And another situation, the tooth was superiorly lodged in the left maxillary sinus. And the kid was treated for chronic sinusitis. And it was a supernumerary tooth in the sinus. So we do, we have a three strikes you're out. Similarly with treatment, you know, we don't, we don't see quality care as, you know, if you don't, if you don't want elective care, well, so be it. But quality care, if, if finances are not a burden, you know, let's say it's a family with Medicaid. We, we don't have a la carte, like, well, I'll take the restorative, but I don't think I want those teeth extracted. We don't do that. Mm-hmm. We dismiss them from the practice. Mm-hmm. Now, if they can't afford it and they're like, I am trying the best I can, you know, trying to do this private pay family, we work, you know, we work with them. We try everything SDF, we throw it all at them. But if they're just like, nah, I just, if it starts bothering them, I'll come back. No, they don't stay in the practice. I had a, uh, so take it away. You have to, your point, your, to your <laughs> point. Um, I just had one just like that, uh, with my GA cases. It was the last case yesterday, but it was, um, but this was a private pay mom where, you know, one of those, um, early mixed dentition kids where, you know, you, he was a GA case, but, um, the two year mold or the, uh, you know, AJK and T were bombed and, so we're pretty much everything was bombed. I was going to do stainless steel crowns on the seconds, um, occlusals and sealants on his six year molars. And the first year molars were pretty shot and he was like eight or nine. Um, but you know, you know, when the decay is really deep down close to the bone where you're like, you could try to save it with a pulp and crown if you really reduced, or you could just like extract it. And so I put four extractions on there and mom kept trying to call back and bargain with me to not do the extraction. She's like, can we just leave those? Cause, and it's like, no, I really can't. And, and I was really proud of myself because old pushover Casey would have just been like, Oh sure. You know, if one abscesses later, I'll pull it out. Maybe, maybe they exfoliate on their own. But I was like, Nope, it's an all or nothing. Like she can get a second opinion, but I'm going to take those teeth out if we're in GA. Cause I don't want to go back and do this again. And then she, she ended up doing it. So I was proud of myself, but to your point, you got to stand your ground on things. Um, you know, when you kind of know, uh, what's, what's right for the kiddo, but, um, Laurie, how many, I was going to ask this question as you were speaking here, but how many patients do you see on a normal day as we are talking about like squeezing in same day ops? What's a, what's a normal patient count on a day for you? Roughly like a a rough, rough amount range. So a private pay day, um, you know, it can range from 65 to 80, 80 friends. Um, But these are 10 hour work days. These That's are, true. we start yeah. at six 30 in the morning, you know, we start at six 30 and we end at five. So keep, keep that in mind. Also, um, I, I am, I'm a pretty, I'm, I'm a big Jason Fung ite. So I like intermittent fasting mm-hmm. and I have team members that understand the way we work. And so they will, you know, rotate their recess and they'll work through recess with me. So sometimes I'll see patients all 10 hours, you know, someone has a toothache or there's emergency or a trauma, or I would rather see them during recess than run behind on the schedule on the other side of the, of the fence on, um, Medicaid days when we're, you know, all doctors are firing, everyone's there and, and so forth, so on. And if you count, like someone came in for a new patient exam, but they had toothache and abscess teeth, we count them as another patient because we get off on them as well. Yep. Yep. So that's kind of a two for whatever, but you know, it, it could be a hundred patients. That's and, crazy. um, and I, you know, with that said, I don't, for those people that really know me, I am, I am a stickler for quality clinical pediatric dentistry. Like I am, I feel in our practice, only doctors do first time permanent molar sealants with four hands and bonding agent and, we are, we're not taking shortcuts with these kids. We are, we are very committed um, with, you know, maybe we're, we're sealing the 12s and we want to touch up the sixes. Our very most experienced dental assistants will allow to do a sealant touch up, but we do, the doctors do all the sealants. So I don't want to ever get the feeling we're running a factory or, you know, it's this kind of thing. We just don't spend a lot of time talking to parents and we spend a lot of time training the team to do the talking. So we are just working working, taking care of children all day long. Yeah, that's And awesome. not that we'd expect a new doc coming out to to do that with us, but 
Mm-hmm. That's the way we're working. The um, it, I, I just I did an episode a couple months ago. Don't do sealants that suck, and and it was like a self reflection um, one. But I you love know, I, that. <laughs> I feel like uh, like pediatric. No, I guess I think pediatric dentists tend to be the best at it. But a lot of, I mean, you know as well as I do. But you get a lot of people that do crappy sealants and and don't do good isolation and don't clean out the grooves and bond. You know, don't well, don't use bond, but uh, you know, seal over just crap. So I appreciate the fact that you're like a stickler for good sealants. That's great. Um, good, the only good every good everything. Good everything. Yeah, we yeah. seal over every single composite in the practice. We finish it, re-etch it, seal over it. I mean, mm-hmm. we are. I mean, I am a stickler about pulp therapy. I mean, we we do not take any shortcuts. We just don't spend a lot of time talking to parents. That's why we can see what we can see in the process. Because you can, day. yeah, yeah. The um the last thing that I was just going to add, um, and it's not much here on the same day treatment before we finish up the last two was um. Uh, you know, I think from a parent perspective on same day, I think sometimes we get caught up where we, I don't want to say selfish, but you know, we have our schedule and we like to stick to it. And there's a lot of times I think we could accommodate that parent, but it's just like, eh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it fun and we'll get you guys back and do it. And so, and sometimes if you're really slam busy and it's going to screw up your day like that, it is what it is. But, um, if you, you just almost have to, I sometimes try to put myself in that parent's shoes. Like, you know, okay, this parent like has a job. They had to take the afternoon off. They're bringing their kid in. Like their kid's got a toothache or something that really wouldn't take that much of your time. Um, it's just a, it's a big practice builder and it's a really good service for the parent. Like if I, if, I mean, think of how hard it is for you and I to line up to do a podcast or anything else. Like if you and I were going to take an afternoon off to take our kid or dog to a vet and needed something done, it's like, man, I'll pay extra. Can we just get it done today? Like sometimes people, you know, their time is as valuable as anything. So it's, it's important to try to put yourself in the parent's shoes, um, given the situation and see if you can accommodate them because, the lucky day is a good way to put it. Like if you can make it their lucky day, I think they'll appreciate it. It goes a long ways. I wanted to add something. You said something earlier about, and I think whoever sent the question, Leslie sent that, you know, like residency versus, you know, how we do. And I think our residencies do an amazing job training us to go out and be good pediatric dentists, but there just isn't bandwidth or time for these academicians that are already, they're stretched really thin. And there's a lot of, a lot of pressures on them. They don't have it. They don't, there's no way they can prepare you for private practice. So they instill this, this goodness to love and care for children, but you have to get out and you have to, you have to learn how to fiscally all make it put together. And there's certainly a a paradigm shift in how you establish boundaries with these parents and when to give a little bit and do those lucky days, when, when to pull back a little bit and and you, you mentioned reviews and, you know, I, I have to say, I just, I caution all your lis- listeners when you think about how you're bending over backward and, and loosening your boundaries, particularly after hours, um, for a parent making these special exceptions and doing that, just remember what kind of Google review would your family give you when you got home mm-hmm. for showing up late, you know? to dinner or not taking that time or being so tired because your pie of patience and emotion and energy has all been sucked out in the office and you're coming home with this pie pan full of just emotional crumbs left for them. I mean, I can tell you I have the best husband in the world. We've been together a very long time, but I would hate to see his Google review on some days like one star, you know, <laughs> fell asleep before I could get my clothes off, you know, <laughs> Or my, you know, my yes. kids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my kids. One star. Mom came home in a bad mood because I didn't clean my room, you know, or, or like your dog. One star. She never takes me for as many walks as I would like. So just because your family doesn't give you a Google review, don't forget at the end of the day, you know, mm-hmm. we we need to invest ourselves and our energy in them as well. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. I love it. Okay. Uh, I guess we just have one kind of broader question left before we wrap up here. And this is a good one as well. So last uh, segment to this question for general anesthesia in private practice in the world of private practice, do parents give a broad consent of treatment as in, you know, we're going to do whatever we need to do to get the kid fixed up based on what we're seeing on the x-rays, but you know, we're not going to be going overly specific. Here's our estimated best guess ballpark estimate. Um, or do you go back out with the parent after you take x-rays and go back over treatment plan while they're under and what are patients, parents reactions afterwards? I thought that this was a really good question because 
you know, it's been talked about on IPDO a few times. Um, but you know, when you, when you see a lot of general anesthesia cases, eventually it happens where you get, you know, you treatment plan your best and then you find surprises and, you know, parents end up paying more out of pocket and then it gets sticky. You know, it's easy if it's, if you're seeing Medicaid, you know, if it's a Medicaid GA, then, you know, you're getting paid 30 cents on a dollar, but at least you can do the work that needs to be done and not feel guilty and have that long conversation. But, um, let's break down how, how do you handle it when, you know, um, when it comes to doing treatment planning and consents, uh, and when surprises come up, if it's a really uncooperative kid and you maybe didn't get preoperative x-rays before the GA date, um, how do you handle those conversations? What happens if you find some surprises during, during the case? How do you handle that? Well, that's an excellent question. And I just want to go back. I'm with you too. Sometimes I sit down with a very young child and I look in their mouth and I'm just like, oh, please, God, let them have Medicaid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I know I can do everything I need to do for them under GA. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. Mm -hmm. But with the world of the nomad, I feel like we can get so, we, the, the access to high quality diagnostic films has, it's, it's been a game changer. But in the situation where, you know, no, we can't get films or the parent doesn't want them to fuss for films or whatever the situation is, we completely, totally optimize the double treatment plan, the triple treatment plan. Like we put all of the possibilities out there on the initial treatment plan. It could be this or it could be that. And then, of course, the consent does say the treatment plan may change with radiographs interoperatively. And, of course, I never leave a surgical suite once a case has been started. But the clinical coordinator would go out and just say, hey, she told me if the treatment plan changed, she would send me out. This is what we found. And the other key element of this, because sometimes care is delayed, they're saving money for GA or, you know, you're backed up with your Medicaid um, GAs or whatever the situation is. I asked them preoperatively, are there any toothaches? Because maybe that pulp crown is not a pulp crown anymore. Maybe it's actually an extraction and a space maintainer. So and if they say yes, and I didn't initially double treatment plan it for extraction, I write, we have printed, we try to print consents when we go to the hospital and the surgery center, and I'll put an X and put maybe an extraction, I'll have them sign in on the spot. So there's none of that. When we go to the hospital or whenever we do general anesthesia, we, we see seven children. We, we see seven friends in the process of our day. So we need to be, I mean, we, it's like a strategic, it's like running a, a play on a basketball court. We know exactly where we're going and how we're going to start, what's going to happen and, and where we're going to go with this. So there's no time to stop and pause and ponder and do any of that. It just needs, needs to happen. But I think the key is double, triple treatment planning, especially if they have tight contacts and it's a private pay friend. I mean, what we know from the literature is we should be placing full coronal college full coronal coverage in children, very young children with interproximal caries. But, you know, we bend the rules. We'll do those class two composites. So it might be a primary sealant. It might be an MO or it might be, a, you know, a zirconia crown or a stainless steel crown. So it's just all on there. They sign on the front end. And if it's something that insurance doesn't cover, for example, a zirconia crown, they do pay that up front. And if it ended up not being being less, then we, we credit them on the spot because we move those charges remotely so that the front team can credit them if needed. Mm -hmm. But that's how um, we do it. Yeah. And um, it's even trickier within office GA because then the anesthesiologist pay is involved. So we kind of, we're stuck with that. Mm -hmm. So we try not to let there be surprises. Yeah. The, uh, I, I would say there's been a few instances where if it's uh, an extraction, particularly, it's probably not the, not the most business savvy thing to do, but there's sometimes if, uh, if I find a surprise on like, um, you know, something that wasn't treatment planned or like a, a good example, I'm just thinking of something out loud. Cause I, I can't think of specific, but say, say it's an older kid, maybe some special needs and like CNH you get in there. And when they're sedated, like, you know, maybe, maybe you, you can kind of palpate and see on some x-rays that like six and 11 are coming in real angulated. And you're like, man, they benefit from getting those canines out. Like they're kind of half mobile. Like it's going to take you like 0.2 seconds of your time to just pop those out. Like I, I've, I don't do it often, but like, I'm not afraid to write off a couple quick extractions and not nickel and dime the parents to death. And I just kind of let them know that I did that. Um, <clears throat> 
And somebody called me out. I, I commented that on IPDO once and somebody's like, well, is that really fair to do that for some parents and not for others? And it's like, okay, I get that too. But you know, it's, it's, I just, I try not to like nickel and dime parents to death and at least, at least be conscientious of the fact that like people spend a lot of money for our work and we do have a valuable service, but like, you know, if it's going to take me 0.2 seconds to do something and it's in the best interest of the kid and it's already a $3,000 treatment plan, I'm not going to try to, you know, nickel another, you know, 400 bucks out of them. If it's going to take me literally 15 seconds to do, I don't know if you, if you agree or disagree, but I occasionally will have that conversation. I agree. I agree with you 100%. I, the most common situation that happens with me is it's, it's a big zirconia case and it's on a, you know, 22 month old or something. And they, they have GA. And by the time we get to the OR, the second primary molar that I was hoping to seal already has caries. They're not changing, you know, they're still nursing at will, whatever the situation is. And I know that this kid, I I don't want to retread or three tread a child back to the OR. It just makes me so sad to do Mm -hmm. that for these young children. Um, so particularly if it's a zirconia case, I'll just, I'll send a clinical coordinator out there. I think we better, I know we didn't talk about crowning these second primary molars initially. I know that, you know, this is out of pocket for you. I'm just going to take care of it because I know it's what's best for that child. And I don't want finances to be a limiting factor to the highest quality care. And they've already put out a lot of money. So I just want to do the best thing. Absolutely. Uh, you know what, Lori? So I, I've got this uh, philosophy where I started taking off, like today's a Thursday we're recording. Um, every other Thursday I started taking off because I've been, I normally do five days a week and and there all the time and stuff. So I, for my own mental health and get caught up on stuff. But one of the things I want to get better about doing is like shadowing and seeing other, I do a lot of podcasts on the Thursdays, but um, like shadowing other pediatric dentists. I've always thought it's kind of unique in pediatric dentistry that like we're so cordial as like a profession. It's like, Larie's cool with Casey coming over and shadowing her practice. The same as Dr. Hollander. Oh yeah. Come over like, and, and he shows you all of his tricks and here's all my paperwork. It'd be like if, you know, um, you know, Elon Musk allowed the guy for the CEO of Ford to come over into the Ford, you know, the Tesla plant and just walk <laughs> around and show him how everything like that just doesn't happen in a lot of professions. But I say that because like when I hear people such as yourself, saying how you're able to do such good dentistry and do it 70 times a day. Like I, I, I love hearing from dentists that have those systems in place. So it's my long winded way of saying eventually someday I'm going to hop on a jet, fly out and like come shadow you. Cause I feel like we don't do that enough. Like, you know, you can like people get very stagnant in their practices and don't push themselves and learn how to do more things. You know, they go to CE and sign their name and bail, but like we should be going and shadowing more in my opinion. So sometime I would love to come out and like watch you do some zirconia cases or I don't know if I'm ever out in North Carolina, I'm totally going to come stop by and like see how you do things in person. I think it'd be really cool. You, you are always welcome. I'm going to crash your party too. Someday when I'm seeing my daughter, I will, I will come visit you. I need to visit Craig anyway. And um, I have a lot of good friends in your state, Carrie Arquit and Shira Sims. (laughs) Yeah. I got a lot of people I need to make, make the rounds for, but no, absolutely. I have had over the years, so many people just come like live with me and spend a week with me back in the day where we used to do site visits for board certification. People would come and just like hang out. Um, it's very common for foreign doctors to do that. I've had a colleague from Italy come do that. And one from Spain come live with my family and just go to the office, go to the OR with me. It's fun. Yeah, it's cool. really fun. Yeah. And um, yeah, I love it. And I always learn. I love it. That's why I love teaching and speaking because I always learn from other people. And I think it's great. I, like I said, I've, I, I don't know if you're recording them, but I've learned from your podcast. I've had a great, a great time with it. I so thanks that. for doing what you're doing. Yeah, no problem. Well, and I appreciate you coming on and um, taking a little time. If there's uh, if there's anybody that's like interested in learning more about the North Carolina scene or wants to hear more about like your zirconia or just, or maybe I'm honestly, I'm afraid to do this, but people, cause you're going to get 20 requests for it. But if anybody is like interested in some no. of these like, documents and things like what's a good way to get a hold of absolutely, you. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Just, just email me drjohnson at carolinapedo.com. And it, it might take me a couple minutes to get back to your, to your email, but I will. And we will, we will share absolutely anything, anytime, uh, anything, anyone, anyone needs. And we also need doctors, but Fair warning, 
It's not that there's anything wrong with the pink Profi Palace, but it is not. Yeah. <laughs> it's a nitty gritty. It's nitty gritty surgical and a restorative pediatric dentistry. There's mm. no doubt about it. Yeah. And a lot of special healthcare needs kids. Very good. Laurie, thank you again. It's nice speaking with you. And uh, are you going to be out at AAPD in a few weeks here? I will be there for, I have board commitments. I'm going to the pre-conference um, and I have board commitments that night. And then I'm going to hightail it back for our son's um, high school graduation. Oh man, busy, so. busy. Well, I don't know if I'll get a chance to run into you or not. Maybe at, at some point in passing, I'll see you. But uh, if not there, I'm sure we'll, we'll meet up again next time you're visiting in, in Mizzou or here in Missouri or whatever. So that'll be good. So. I will, I would definitely will be back, be back in Missouri because my child is going to be there for another five years. So I'll definitely make it that way. Very cool. All right, Laurie, great speaking with you. Have a good night and everything. Okay. Take care. All right. See you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Bruise and Tiny Teeth podcast. Be sure to DM our host, Casey Getz, on social media with any listener questions, comments, or tough clinical situations. We'll see you next week for another unfiltered episode.